Hello and welcome back to Real Time Strategy. I'm one of your hosts this week, Sam Mosier, joined as always by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. Not from her usual set, if you will. Caitlin, where are you joining us today? <laughs> I am in Missouri in Let's my go. father's spare bedroom slash office. As you can see, there's a bed. so i apologize my setup is weird i can't show my computer is like on i had an empty box of shoes and (laughs) stick my computer on that it's it's a mess none of my audio worked but hopefully you guys can hear me okay yeah hey we got it working that is what happens during the holiday season? Uh, I'm wearing my, you know, festive red sweater oh, here. I know Caitlin's got a, a Merry Christmas no, uh, sweater I totally, on her. Oh, I you- changed it. I'm wearing a hoodie now because I spilled water. Well, I went to go get my hair cut and I was wearing that and it got like wet. So I moved or I switched. I changed. So I'm not wearing my Christmas sweater. In spirit. I was this morning. Yeah. I, in spirit I am, but it's wet. But no, I feel the uh, the I won't call it the pains, but the creativity of the uh, holiday, the home for the holidays office setup. Um, when I'm back with my folks in the St. Louis area, um, my we have like a hand me down second monitor that I plug into, but it's stacked <laughs> on a bunch of old game console boxes. So it's like on a DS and PS Vita box. Um, oh, no. <laughs> otherwise, it's too low. So. Anyway, we make it work, right? <laughs> yeah. I thankfully my dad actually has like a decent setup. There's like a couple like monitors over here <laughs> that I can use. There's my there's my wallpaper. I love this on um, the wallpaper. Yeah. But it's to get my laptop, which has the webcam, it that was a whole mess. So but my hey, laptop is now we got it work. And for those who are listening, uh, know that, yeah, we we observed the Thanksgiving holiday last week, hence our episode off. So happy to be back. This week we'll be discussing a lot of gaming news going into the end of the year, including the Game Awards nominations, some predictions for that show, which will be airing a week and a day um, from when this episode releases. Uh, last of Us Part 2 Remastered was announced right before the Thanksgiving week, so we'll be discussing that as well. And we'll also be digging into what do we do over the Thanksgiving break? What do we watch? What do we play? All that and more. Uh, Caitlin, before, you know, we know each other, no, we get to know you question this week, but I thought it'd be fun to shout out friend and former guest of the show, Joseph Bradford, who tagged us after our last episode about our Taylor Swift talk, making him feel old. (laughs) Wait, did he really? Yeah, I don't know if you missed that. (laughs) Oh, I must have. Wait, did he tag the podcast or did he tag us? He did. He did. Oh, okay. I see. I was off for Thanksgiving and didn't open up the real time strategy. Was it the Twitter account? It was the Twitter account. I feel really bad now. Joseph, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm seeing it now. If you find it, please read the quote. Well, I just wanted to tell him that I sympathize. It's not it's not feeling (laughs) old. It's that Taylor Swift is impossible to keep up with. (laughs) Um, yeah, I here, I'll read it first. Finally listening to real-time strategy, and I now feel my age. I've not even heard of the names of these Taylor Swift albums, let alone listen to them. Though I am an Evermore fan, the Edgar Allan Poe version. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. And he goes, yes, I'm aware it's Nevermore in the, in the poem. Nevermore, Evermore. Oh, wow. 
Oh, Sam, you said now waiting for the Poe themed Taylor Swift music video. Um, I'm actually very surprised she hasn't done that because she just seems like she would be a Poe fan. <laughs> um, oh, I thought my Twitter just changed. I see our podcast editor pulled up Twitter and I was like, my computer is doing things on its own. <laughs> um, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I, I did a lot of Taylor Swift teaching education as you will over the thanksgiving holiday i'm sure many people did um i definitely made the joke in front of family on thanksgiving as we were watching football um with a very large family from missouri and i was like you know taylor swift really put him on the map and i (laughs) the looks that i got i got a lot of people laughed that they they understood what i was trying to do not everybody Mm -hmm. did and i was pretty proud of myself in that moment but that was fun it's funny that we talked about Taylor Swift and Grand Theft Auto 6 last week because I feel like Taylor Swift is to music as Grand Theft Auto 6 is to gaming and <laughs> that like the fan theories, the I don't know if you you missed this, but like there was a Grand Theft Auto update in October that had a a moon like a gigantic moon in the sky in the key art and fans were dissecting like what phase of the moon uh, when that aligns in the calendar and that that phase <laughs> the moon was going to align with the GTA 6 announcement. And anyway, all this goes to say is like I was hanging out with my my partner last night and she was uh, we were watching something and she paused and she goes, wait, 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 there's a rumor that reputation, you know, reputation version is going to be announced. And she, she was like breaking down the fan theories. Travis was wearing black, all this. And I was like, you all are just like Grand Theft Auto fans. <laughs> Yeah, Tree Tree was wearing black. It's her like her publicist. Her mom was wearing black at the concert. There was like the oh the there was a music video that had eleven and twenty six on the wedding cake. Um, what else was there? I a hundred percent clown makeup was painted on <laughs> last night. I fully fully thought that she was going to announce Reputation Taylor's version. It's her last show of twenty twenty three. What? We 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 work hard. Uh, <laughs> Taylor Swift fan theories work harder. Um, yeah, they always convince me. This, yeah, I one hundred percent. I like I watch a TikTok or I do a deep dive, and I'm like, yeah, duh, that makes so much sense. I was like, if she doesn't do that, she's stupid. Taylor Swift is <laughs> not stupid though. I'm just talking some smack, but um, there was there was this joke, and it was like, if Taylor Swift says she wasn't going to release like a new album until the Swifties solved the zodiac killer uh, murders <laughs> how long do you think it would take and everyone was like 13 days 13 hours like <laughs> and i believe it that's really funny and also this is also some deep taylor swift lore um but uh i've been watching all the david fincher movies because the killer just came out on netflix oh, and of yes. course jake gyllenhaal plays like the obsessive uh you know kind of journalist trying to find the Zodiac Killer in that amazing movie. And of course he has the relationship drama with Taylor Swift. It's all connected. It, 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 the rabbit hole goes too deep. It is a full circle. The the Venn diagram of Swifties <laughs> and true crime fans oh is gosh. a full circle. It's That's all it is. <laughs> 
Uh, well, and then there's Jake Gyllenhaal in there somewhere. David yeah, <laughs> he's in there somewhere for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Grand Theft Auto theorizing, let's go into our first news story for the week, because, of course, there's theorizing that Grand Theft Auto 6 might appear at the Game Awards, uh, which on, on November 13th, uh, Jeff Keighley and crew announced the nominations for this year's show. Again, the show will air Thursday, December 7th, so eight days after this episode's out. Um, but let's dig into the nominations. I'm reading from Ryan Dinsdale at IGN uh, that nominees for the Game Awards 2023 have been revealed with Alan Wake 2 and Baldur's Gate 3 leading the way with eight nominations each. Alan Wake's two nominations include Game of the Year, Best Game Direction, Best Narrative, Best Art Direction, Best Score and Music, Best Sound Design, Best Performance from Melanie LeBird, and Best Action Adventure Game. Baldur's Gate 3 saw a similar uh, nomination field, including Game of the Year, Best Game Direction, Best Narrative, Best Score in Music, Best Performance for Neil Newbon, Best Community Support, Best RPG, and Best Multiplayer. Marvel's Spider-Man 2 received seven nominations. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom received five, as did Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and Starfield received one. Um, my brother and I, we, we host a podcast on the side, and we were talking about this story, and my brother, I, I, I laughed because I recall him reading this, and when he got to the starfield received one he goes that just feels mean <laughs> it's yeah it's almost worse getting just one than not getting anything at all especially it's like yeah you were fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the last thing i'll read before we can start digging into these is with all those games being nom uh i just read again alan wake 2 Baldur's gate 3 super mario brothers wonder marvel spider-man 2 tears of the kingdom those are five of the six game of the year uh, nominations kind of in my personal opinion and, and a lot of you know other you know gaming discourse I listen to a lot of kind of funny predictions about this those kind of seemed like the locks if you will the interesting kind of prediction was like what's going to be the sixth pick uh, for game of the year and it was Resident Evil 4 remake um, so that is our six game of the year uh, nominees for a just stacked um, to the brim uh, year um, for releases. Caitlin, what's your reaction um, to this kind of top level summary of the Game Awards nominations? I know there's a lot to dig into from here. It, it There is. I'm not, it's kind of par for the course, I think, of what I would have anticipated. Um, I think Super Mario uh wonder super mario bros wonder there's a bros i always forget the bros i guess that's there for the 2d games but the 3d games don't have the bros i i learned that recently so super mario bros wonder yes right yes (laughs) yeah super mario bros wonder surprised me um i haven't played it yet but i did watch it and i i get it like (laughs) i i do i i totally understand the hype um they've really improved upon the genre and just the animations are really cool. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. The puzzles are great. Um, it just surprised me. I don't know what I would have put in place, but I remember when they announced that one, I was like, Oh, interesting. I had to like sit and think about it. Um, but I, I don't think there's any world where that one wins. I think to me, I mean, Baldur's gate three is going to have a great year. Um, I hope Alan Wake 2 and Spider-Man 2 pick up some awards. We, I mean, we could go award by award. I probably have thoughts on those. But um, yeah, ultimately, ultimately for Game of the Year, I think it's I think it's got to be Baldur's Gate 3. I will be very shocked if it's not. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because of course, um, 
the conversation about six months ago now when Tears of the Kingdom released was, you know, what can stand in its way? It's the sequel to what many people consider um, one of the best games of all time. And now this one people are saying is even better. And I, I agree. And so but then Baldur's Gate 3 is out and it, I agree. It seems like it has the juice like it, it won uh, game of the year at the Joystick Awards, which is organized by Future Publishing. Um, it's, you know, playing a bit of the the Oscar prediction game that I know you and I both love. It has a bit more of the recency. It's it's the newer game of the two. Uh, it's also even more long awaited uh, than Tears of the Kingdom was. It's been so long since the last Baldur's Gate game, and this one has quite the fun narrative with it being in early access for three years. Um, and really, you know, proving that early access can work for a game of this size and scale. It almost was necessary to make a game like this work. Um, so I, I personally think it's between those two. Um, and I mean, between these six games, it, it's, it's very exciting, but I think it's going to be Zelda versus Baldur's Gate when it comes to the end of the game awards. Next yeah, to, to me... Uh, and I know this is not how people should choose awards, but to me, because Breath of the Wild won Game of the Year, I just have a lot of feeling feelings that people are going to be like, Tears of the Kingdom is much of the same. So like, let's lean into a let's lean towards a different game that's kind of doing not something new, but maybe something new for the genre in a while. I mean, Baldur's Gate three just the way the narrative kind of blends together. I think it's just so much more impressive than any other game that has come out this year. Just with, there's so many characters, there's so many storylines. They all like, even in the beginning, if it's kind of confusing, they all come together really beautifully and you can't even explore all of it in one playthrough. It's, I, I don't know how they did it, to be honest. It's just... To me, it's just one of the most impressive games I have ever played. I'll never be able to like get through all of it because I just I there's other games that have come out and I'll be playing those. But yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is just one that's stood out to me as really moving the genre forward and doing something that like we haven't really seen. I feel the same way about Alan Wake 2, um, just with the art direction of that game and use of like sound and visuals and all this stuff. There's just, I have a couple like little flaws with it that I just think Baldur's Gate three does a little bit better. Uh, but Alan Wake two is just another one that like, if it won, I would be thrilled. Um, I think it's one of the best detective games I've ever played. One of the best like thriller horror experiences, the way they weave, um, different types of uh what is the word that i'm looking for like it's like real footage like the actors it's not just um in game footage and it's oh it's the done. um i know what you're talking about it's the shoot the sam barlow games uh, do the same thing uh vf uh oh it'll come VFX? to me but sort of yeah it's just i don't know they're Every time I play that game, I'm just kind of like shocked in awe of how amazing it looks. And it's almost like a shock to the senses. Um, and truly, the, their use of... Oh, did you find it? Uh, uh, 
VMF uh, full motion video. Uh, yes, FM, full FMV. motion video. What am I? Yes. <laughs> VFF. Yeah, Too many proper nouns video. this episode. <laughs> uh, we're, we're just get back in the swing of it. Yes. It's, we took a week off and my brain is fuzzy from turkey. Um, <laughs> gravy brain. Gravy brain, yeah. <laughs> and I really what that game like does so well that would just works so good in a Batman detective game is their use of the mind palace. I, what a just genius move on their part, to be honest. I I love being able to kind of like go into the mind palace and like you're solving all these cases and how they visualize it. It's just, yeah, it, to me, that is what a Batman detective game needs. Um, so to, to, and what I have wanted for a very long time. So I'm kind of, it's like feeding me that way. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I went on a long tangent there, but yeah, I, I think Baldur's Gate 3 will take you of the year. I would love if it was Alan Wake 2. Um, I mean, all the games on the list are deserving, but to me, those were the, those were the standout games really pushing their genres forward this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think between the three games we've primarily discussed here with BG3, Zelda, and Alan Wake 2, it, it's cool seeing how each of them have pushed the medium in different ways, whether it's like, you know, we what you said, uh, I can't believe they did this in the, in the way they pushed the medium forward for Baldur's Gate 3 in terms of its, its role-playing play, systems and the branching narratives that are just kind of impossible to comprehend just of how unwieldy in a, in a good way they are and how the depths of the game i don't think will it will take years to completely understand um in the, in the same way like the physics system of tears of the kingdom um really impresses me and, and similarly has me asking like how did they do this how is this possible and the narrative presentation and art design and like you said the use of mixed media with alan wake 2 feels at the scale and budget that it's doing because uh, i know you know fmv which again that was the term we were looking for we saw in things like immortality and her story but seeing it used from a team um like remedy which has dabbled in all of these things for several of its games uh just kind of perfect what they're mission statement has been with like control and, and even quantum break and max Payne. uh now in this just feels really cool so it's a fun batch of nominations not to mention like spider-man 2 insomniac just somehow every time i think like oh yeah this is just the perfect spider-man game they find little yeah. ways to make it a little <laughs> better um mario wonder is every time i think nintendo's out of ideas for mario levels they prove me wrong um and resident evil 4 is uh you know takes one of the best games of all time and you know 15 years later maybe almost 20 years later at this point reminds us why um it's still considered one of the greatest games of all time so i mean it sucks to be like final fantasy 16 or any of the countless amazing indies this year um diablo 4 like the list goes star wars jedi survivor just like all of the amazing games that would have been in this batch of six in yeah. any other given year uh but in 2023 it's just like the it's so top heavy this, this this year is so so tough uh how how do you feel about a remake being nominated for game of the year 
it's tough. Like when I was predicting what spot number six was, I was honestly between like Final Fantasy 16, Diablo 4, mm-hmm. even maybe Starfield, because the people who like Starfield love Starfield. Yeah. Um, and I'd kind of written off Final Fantasy or <laughs> Resident Evil 4 um, for the sake of it being uh, a remake. And, and but with all that being said, like Resident Evil 2 was my favorite game of 2019. Um, that admittedly, and, and this is not to discredit Resident Evil 4, had a bit more work to do per se because it was taking a camera control a PS1 game and bringing it three generations forward and giving you full third person camera controls. And they did really cool things with the enemy, Mr. X. Um, Whereas this is going, I guess in a way still three generations forward, but um, isn't changing as much about the base game, but it does little tweaks and twists on the original game that are really smart modernizations, like the way they change the camera and shooting and the just the sheer production design of it that the way they make it look so easy, I think is to the credit of the team that made the, the four remake. And I think is totally deserving of that six nomination. What do you think? I, yeah, I think if, if a remake has done enough to differentiate itself from the original game to make it, it's almost, it's a new game to begin with then yeah, definitely nominate it. Um, I never played Resident Evil 4, um, the original. Technically, I didn't play this one. I watched a playthrough. I really enjoyed watching it. I th- like loved the story and it looked fun, um, but I just personally didn't play it. Um, and to me, I was like not knowing what the original looked like. I was like, oh, this is like, this is a fun game. I get why there are there is a huge fandom for them. Um, so I I don't have much skin in the game here or many like I don't have any hot takes. I just was kind of wondering if what your general thoughts were, because to me, I'm like, yeah, if it's if it's worthy of it, it's worthy of it. And it seems like this one was. Yeah. And that's. That I feel like, you know, of course, Game of the Year is, is the most hotly discussed um, category and, and predicted one going into the awards next week. Um, but the other one, of course, you know, like you said, I'm happy to pick apart or dissect any other categories. But I feel like the next one that got the most attention when the nominees were announced was Best Independent Game, um, which the nominees included Cocoon, Dredge, Sea of Stars, Viewfinder, and to many people's chagrin, uh, Dave the Diver. Um, I'll go over to PC Gamer now, um, which put together a, a fair kind of summation of why some people are, are, are picking nits, um, or a bit more than that, um, to be honest, with Dave the Diver's nomination. And Tyler Wilde writes, uh, arguments about what kind of thing a thing is are one of the leading causes of debates, um, and whether or not Dave the Diver is an independent game is one of them. Uh, so here's the beef. The Game Awards published its list of nominations for the year, and Dave the Diver appeared in the Best Independent Game category. Dave the Diver is a brilliant game. Uh, PC Gamer itself gave it a 91 out of 100 in their review, but it was developed by a subsidiary of Nexon, an enormous game publisher. The argument for putting Dave the Diver in the Independent Games Award category, where it sits alongside Cocoon, Viewfinder, Sea of Stars, and Dredge, is that it has qualities associated with independent games, such as 2D pixel art. 
the word indie at least does already mean in the style of an independent artist in other contexts. Um, you know, they cite the Strokes as an indie rock band whose last album was published by a division of Sony. Um, the argue against putting Dave the Diver in the independent games category is that, well, it is not an independent game. Um, Dave Oshry, CEO of indie label New Blood Interactive, sent an email to PC Gamer that he thinks categorizing Dave the Diver as indie is, pardon my language, uh, bullshit. Um, so, you know, we can go on and on. This was all over my my game's Twitter uh, when the nominees were announced as, you know, what does indie mean? Is it actually independent or is it an aesthetic, a vibe, a scale of the game, um, a budget of the game in comparison to the AAA games nominated for Game of the Year? Caitlin, what was your reaction to, you know, this nomination in particular? It's it is such a complicated question that I I still don't know if I have fully parsed out my thoughts on it. I absolutely think there needs to be a non triple A category. Um, and does that have to do with the budget a game gets instead of just like who publishes it? Um, does it have to be independent of a non triple A publisher? it's really tough because we've got studios that are they're kind of creating or they've they already have third-party publishing studios and so those teams are still working independent as dave the diver is um it is an independent team that does maybe have some financial support does that mean it has to be in the indie category i i don't think there is a right or wrong answer i think the rules for categories just needs to be more greatly defined. And if that means having two categories and keeping indie meaning below a certain um, budget and maybe having like a non triple a category, which can be these types of games that have maybe a larger studio support financially, then we do that. Um, Or maybe it's the opposite to me. I feel like, the general public right now has kind of started to see indie games as more of a vibe than have to do anything financially. Um, I think many of us in the industry and who are like really critiquing this probably feel the opposite, or we are thinking of trying to think of that objectively when it comes to budget. But if I went and asked some of my friends who don't work in the industry, what they think an indie game is. If they saw Dave the Diver, they would say that's an indie game and they wouldn't think twice about it. Um, So I don't know. I just, to me, it just seems like rules need to be, someone needs to come to a conclusion of what does an indie game mean um, and clearly define that when we're judging games for this category and then maybe making a separate category. Yeah, I'll, I'll go briefly to um, Jeff Keighley, who did comment on this. Uh, I didn't realize, and maybe he's been doing this for several years now, um, but I, I admire Jeff for, for a litany of reasons, um, but he's an incredibly transparent about his you know processes and very is eager to engage with the fan base and the community around the Game Awards. He's been doing several uh, Twitch Q&As, um, at least three to four now, and probably knowing him, we'll do at least one more bef- before the show airs. But in his most recent um, Q&A on the Game Awards Twitch channel, he commented on a question about um, the Dave the Diver nomination. And he said, um, 
independent games can mean different things to different people and it's sort of a broad term so yeah dave the diver this is me quoting uh, jeff Keeley per uh, taylor lyle's writing on ign uh that game is made by a group called mint rocket it's a smaller game from a smaller group but it is part of nexon they're employees of nexon which is a very large publisher so i think it's a fair debate and discussion is that game truly independent or is it not you can argue it either way it's independent in spirit and that it's a small game with a i don't know what the budget is relatively small budget but it's from a larger entity whereas there are other games on the list from much smaller studios. Um, and he's not wrong, but like the, the category gets muddy, like you said, Caitlin, because sure, um, yes, by fact, Dave Diver, not an independent game. There are independent studios that do then get a lot of support from like Annapurna last year. Stray was the winner of Best Indie Game and Independent Team, but Annapurna is a, a movie studio and a, and a game publisher and no doubt definitely helped that game get attention and was the the streaming and, and YouTube phenomenon helped it become that that it was. So I don't know. Like I think at the end of the day, like you said, whatever comes from this is I'm just glad there is a category where because as we saw in Game of the Year, none of these games were nominated there. They were all eligible. You know, Cocoon, Dave the Diver even could have been um, or at least were eligible for Game of the Year. But just from the way that AAA games get attention and also just help kind of rise above the tide in a year with so many releases. That's what we're going to see get nominated there. So I'm just glad there was some sort of category, even if the description and, you know, criteria of it are as nebulous as they are for these games to get, you know, recognition. It's also, again, returning to the, the Oscar discussion that I know you and I both love to have, uh, this, gamers welcome to the welcome to the club award shows are tough and and nobody is ever happy about them um like you look at the best oh. musical comedy at the golden globes or how best independent or a uh, best foreign film works at the oscars like frankly these are these uh awards um organizers should be and often are trying their best um to get as much recognized as possible and there's only so much you can do. So I, I think not to excuse it, but that's definitely part of what's going on here is that's no, no yeah, award no. system is perfect. No, it's not perfect. I'm just glad they fall within the same time frame, So I don't have to be stressed about awards <laughs> all year now. And I could just kind of compartmentalize my stress into games and movies at the same time. Um, for anybody who's listening, it's like, why are you worried about awards? That's crazy. I agree. I explained <laughs> that to my brain. <laughs> uh, well, that is that category. Um, were there any others, like, you know, talking about your faves um, or, you know, the one like one you're rooting for, like Alan Wake 2, you mentioned Best Art Direction. It is nominated in that category alongside Hi-Fi Rush, Lies of P, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, uh, and Tears of the Kingdom. I think Alan Wake, like, in, I, I don't have confident predictions for every category, but I think Alan Wake 2 is a shoe-in for winning Best Art Direction. I hope so. I truly do. Like, I will probably be upset if it's any of the others. Though, the, I think some of the others will pick up some other categories. Like, I definitely think Hi-Fi Rush should pick up sound. Yes. Um, whether that's, like, best audio, best, yeah, best audio design. Um, maybe not best score of music, though... I wouldn't be upset if it picked up that as well. I could see Tears of the Kingdom picking that up or even Alan Wake 2. I really do love the the music in that game. Um, but 
Hi-Fi Rush should pick up audio, audio design. Um, oh, yeah, man, it's a testament to that so game that others. like Hi-Fi Rush wouldn't work if the in. That's not to say it should win just because it's a music-based game, um, but the fact that the music works in the way that it does for those unfamiliar with Hi-Fi Rush, it's a action game where you're scored and your attacks perform better if you're performing to the beat of the uh, the backing yeah. music and uh if, if you're unfamiliar everybody go back and listen to our episode with gabe kunda a voice actor from that game <laughs> um yeah. shameless plug there but uh it's not just that it works but it works as fluidly as it does and it's so much fun to play is really to the testament of how good and deserving it is to win that category yeah i mean i could even use that that same what you just said as an argument for it winning best action as well mm. it was nominated for best action wasn't it i, I if not maybe, it like, definitely should have been before i check things um it is okay armored core 6 dead island 2 ghost runner 2 hi-fi rush and remnant 2 okay so i haven't played the others i did play the first ghost runner i do like ghost runner um but hi-fi rush too yeah it's those kind of those things go hand in hand where it comes with the music sound design and the action and if one doesn't work the other one doesn't work so to me those are kind of hand in hand awards for this game they would be my vote yeah looking here um armored core six was only not like uh which is i'm not good at the game but it is incredibly <laughs> impressive and well made and has all of the from soft magic that we've come to expect just in a different yeah form and and uh, aesthetic um it is only nominated in best action game so as much as i love hi-fi rush i do think armored core will win here um not just because it's i think deserving but uh as a way to kind of show love to it because it's not nominated elsewhere mm -hmm. are there any other categories you want to go to next um do you have a a favorite for best performance um we have ben Starr for final fantasy 16 cameron monaghan for star wars jedi survivor idris elba for phantom liberty the uh, cyberpunk 2077 dlc melanie liebert for alan wake 2 neil newbun for baldur's gate 3 and yuri lowenthal for marvel's spider-man 2 uh i think yuri i this, this, this is one's hard category. i also oh man i also loved melanie and neil And Cameron, uh, honestly, I do love. I think I think Yuri Lowenthal, um, I think had the most impressive, and had to. I mean, no, this one's too hard. I don't even know if I can say <laughs> that. I'm like second guessing myself as I'm saying it. Um, but my gut, my gut did say Yuri, so probably Yuri. Though I could see Neil taking that one. I think Yuri's a fair prediction. I would. You know, if you ask me if I had to predict right now, I would say Yuri for Spider-Man 2 as well. Uh, partly because he is the the only one of these who his character name is in the title. Um, whereas even <laughs> like Cameron Monaghan yeah. is the lead character in Jedi Survivor. Um, but, you know, still a Spider-Man game does not work without a great Spider-Man. And Yuri is is definitely that. And ha and and <laughs> I, I know it worried a lot of people in the lead up to this game because we've seen a symbiote suit spider-man story so many times um but i think you're in like some of the the, the trailers and stuff are like oh is he, is he going too edgy is this is this trying too hard is it too my chemical romance emo but 
um, in context, I think Yuri's uh, performance is great and um, yeah. shows and, and gives us a new take on a story we've seen so many times. Um, and that's that's impressive in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, he's like... The symbiote is bringing out the worst parts of Peter in his own, like, self... Con- um, concerns insecurities like his anger that he usually has like keeps keeps he like usually has a good control over and how yuri portrays that throughout the game and there are just small small moments in the very beginning where you're like did he just say we or like did his voice kind of have a weird inflection you're like maybe i just heard it wrong and you don't actually know at first because it's so subtle and he just builds it throughout the game as you get further into the into end game. And I won't go into spoilers, but yeah, it, his performance just really impressed me and honestly, like made me emotional. I just I truly felt for Peter throughout that game um, and that his performance just has stuck with me since playing. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not even so much because it's like his name's in the title as much as he had he had to overcome a lot and he had to portray a lot of different emotions. And I mean, I can't imagine how hard it is to be a voice actor when you can't use your body and your facial expressions to also support you. And yes, he has the support of the team who are making the game, but not every shot are you seeing his face or like how his body stances. So he does a very, very good job. Agreed. And I, I won't say because campaigning for the game awards is fairly regulated by Jeff. It's it's you know, it's a very controlled system and he very much leans on his jury of outlets and, you know, content creator organizations to nominate and then select the winners here. And of course, fans have a bit of a say, um, which that with that voting probably now being live at the time you're listening to this. Um, but uh, I, I will, so all this is going to say, I don't think this was campaigning, but I will include in the description, I'm going to write this down after as a reminder um, that Polygon did a great interview with Yuri about the making of Spider-Man 2, about the process of voice acting. And he also touches on the potential um, SAG after voice acting strike that might be coming. Um, but he talks about the process of doing the symbiote Spider-Man voice and how, draining and and testing it was and that you know of course with the the support and practices of the previous um sag after strike like giving him the breaks that he needed in order to bring kind of that gravelly gruffness to life um one last one f- for my second if there's any others uh feel free a uh, best narrative this one's tough uh alan wake 2 Baldur's gate 3 cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty final fantasy 16 Marvel Spider-Man 2. Uh, I think it's Baldur's Gate 3 just because of what its narrative is, but Alan Wake 2 is so kind of, you know, medium, uh, like the, the medium mixing and, and, and genre pushing that it does, and, and not to mention just like Spider-Man 2 being a great Spider-Man story, Cyberpunk 2077's DLC, like not... The game was saved a little bit before that, but I think really has changed the way people view the base game itself even. And Final Fantasy 16 is considered to be by many like the best Final Fantasy story in a really long time. So this what a what a great year. Yeah, I I said that one's a really tough category. I think that one's kind of hard to um, decide 
on who would win that. To me, I think my one of my only complaints about the Spider-Man game was actually narrative in some respects. Uh, that has to do with the Craven storyline. I I did a full <laughs> in-depth Spider-Man review on a uh, friend's channel, but so I won't go too into it here. But um, yeah, I I think they could have done a little bit better. I think they took on a lot when it came to the narrative. So I, I get why it was nominated. I just don't think that is the game's strong suit. I, I'm going to get attacked for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, Baldur's Gate 3 and Alan Wake 2 have a much stronger grasp on narrative. And I'm sure that is probably the same for Final Fantasy 16 from what I have also read about it. Um, and I, I have kind of stayed away from the Phantom Liberty stuff only because I want to actually go play Spider, Spider, <laughs> Cyberpunk and get to the DLC. So I am kind of trying to keep myself away from any spoilers. But like you said, I think the game was a little bit saved beforehand, but I only really saw glowing stuff briefly as I was looking. Yeah. Well, it should be fun to tune in for all of the winners um, next week. But of course, another thing that happens at the Game Awards are what used to be called world premieres. Uh, but in Jeff's Q&A uh, this week, uh, he also said that, uh, just to quote him directly, actually this year, uh, you'll see, we often put up these cards, world premiere, world premiere. We're kind of moving away from that just because everything's kind of, is it a first look? Is it an announcement, etc. So we treat it all as great game content. So while you won't see the, the giant world premiere title card in front of the great um, announcements and you know, trailers and things to look forward to, of course. Um, they will be there. Uh, he's When someone asked, um, so uh, let me find, I'm again reading from Taylor Wiles at IGN, uh, what the number of announcements would be at the show. He disclosed that he's not sure of a firm number, but said it would be around the same as last year. Um, so, Caitlin, just for funsies and to, and to close our Game Awards uh segment do you have any predictions about what will appear at next week's show whether it's announcements or surprise celebrity camos cameos like al pacino walking out on stage at the beginning of last year's show <laughs> um i don't think i could guess on who it would be because i never would have expected al pacino to be there i don't think al pacino expected to be there pretty sure he <laughs> just was chauffeured there and Fair. was told to walk out on a stage and he was like where am i pretty sure he said something along those lines so it would just be ridiculous for me to guess who it could be because for all we know it could be timothy chalamet who maybe in the next death stranding oh that's right i just i just thought about this and they did have that image that hideo kojima put out of of good old timmy Maybe, oh. maybe that is maybe that's my guess. That's a great but prediction. That would, be, that would be crazy. Yeah. Other yeah, than for, that, I don't have any predictions. No, I love it. For context, for those who missed it, Hideo Kojima, uh, who has many celebrity friends. I love seeing him hanging out with uh, Jordan Peele, or I think he was hanging out with Emma Stone a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, most recently, he was uh, Timothy Chalamet rocking truly some Kingdom Hearts uh, ass like top, like <laughs> wardrobe um, was seen, uh, you know, touring Kojima production. So I think a little Death Stranding 2, uh, you know, acting role. And of course, Death Stranding 2 was revealed at last year's Game Awards. So I think, A, it's not safe to assume, but it's a good prediction that we'll see that game again. And getting yeah. a look at Timothy Chalamet in it would be awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. So GTA six, Death Stranding two. What else? Could there be God of War DLC? I think speaking of, speaking of DLC, I think we'll get a first. It's been announced, but we haven't got a like a, a look at gameplay of the Shadows of the Erd Tree Elden Ring um, oh, DLC. Yeah. I think we'll see I that. Um, similar to like, you know, we saw Death Stranding 2 last year. What else did we see last year? Hades 2. I think we'll get yep. another trailer for that. Maybe with, they they said that it's the early access version is not coming this year. Maybe we get another trailer in a release window um, for Maybe. at least the early access version for Hades 2. That would excite me very much. Same. I cried last year when that was announced. <laughs> it was I don't remember who was sitting next to me, but I was gripping their arm really tightly, <laughs> crying. Um, my celebrity cameo prediction is they've moved away from this a bit. They don't have as many musical performances as you know. I, I remember in college watching like churches or Imagine Dragons perform at the Game Awards. Um, but who had a I like a, a, a skin partnership with Fortnite recently, <laughs> Mr. Eminem, Mr. Slim Shady himself. <laughs> I think we're seeing Mr. Nem at the TGA next week. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe I do need to get a Game Awards ticket. Wait, is anybody <laughs> selling theirs? Um, if you got a DM free Eminem <laughs> performance or cameo, that's worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, that is worth the price. Yeah, no, if anybody has an extra ticket. Um, let me know. I will be outside of the Game Awards. I'll be at the JW probably, but not not uh, seated in the theater. <laughs> However, Eminem may may change things. That's a, oh. that would be a very funny right. <laughs> oh. Well, we'll be discussing the Game Awards uh, maybe next week. Who knows what news will come out between now and then? But at the very least, uh, two episodes from now, uh, we'll be dissecting all the announcements and the winners. Um, from the show of course last year uh, we also got a look at uh not a look at the show itself but we had celebrity cameo appearances from the cast of the last of us uh, and that brings us to our next story um last of us part two remastered uh announced the friday um before thanksgiving it was leaked uh, wario 64 um you know posted some screenshots from the uh, PlayStation, a PSN store page that went live early. And then later that day, we got a full PlayStation blog um, announcement, making it official that coming in January of next year, I go to the PlayStation blog now, written by Jonathan Dornbush, editorial content manager at Naughty Dog. He writes, the team here at Naughty Dog is excited to announce The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, the definitive way to experience the acclaimed Last of Us sequel, originally released in 2020. We're thrilled to confirm you won't have to wait long for it either. Players can jump into Ali and Ebby's Sorry, Ali, Ellie and Abby's hello uh, emotional journeys on the PlayStation Five console on January nineteenth, twenty twenty four. Um, the remaster I'm skipping around now will include um, technological improvements, new modes, and new behind the scenes features that will deepen your understanding of Part Two's creation. Um, the major new addition uh, includes a mode. Um, I'm going trying to find the roguelike mode. The summary of it um yeah um who come players will chart their own course on each run choosing between various stealth and combat encounters they will pit you against a range of enemies with the unique twists that can add new unexpected factors to any encounter there'll also be some free playing guitar modes accessibility options um 
just doubling down on Naughty Dog's really great support um, for accessibility options in their games. Technological improvements include native 4K output in fidelity mode, 1440p upscaled to 4K in performance mode, an unlocked frame rate option for TVs that support VRR. Anyway, the game's going to look phenomenal. Caitlin, as someone who has also played Last of Us Part Two, like me, what's your excitement level for this? Um, like uh, six or seven. I mean... I'm excited to play The Last of Us Part Two again. Um, I guess I have played it twice now. I played it the year it came out and then the year after on a harder difficulty. I will probably do the same this time around. Um, oh, I really have to mute my Discord notifications. I'm getting beeped a ton of my ear. Um, but yeah, I, I think this game, I mean, everybody's excitement level is going to vary depending on your love of the genre and The Last of Us. It is my favorite game of all time. So, of course, I am excited to see how it utilizes the PS5s from the PS5 from a technological standpoint. I'm really interested in the, the lost levels that Sony announced. I can't remember if they announced how many levels there will be, but I want to say there's three um, so it'll be, it'll be great to just get a little bit more content from it and just, I don't know, kind of go back to the game. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see the multiplayer game anytime soon, if ever. So if this is going to be what we get for now to, um, appease us for the time being, then that is, that's fine with me. And for a $10 upgrade, like... I have no complaints with them releasing a remaster this close to launch. I I don't think it's going to take away from their development of any games. They've been doing this forever, like releasing remasters for games in short time periods, and they still release full games on a pretty steady schedule. So I I don't have any concerns that this is taking away from other big projects. Yeah, I know that was um, it's a it's a common uh, like I, I think fanboy reaction to yeah. these to be like, oh, how dare we get this instead of that? And like you said, um, Last of Us Remastered, which was the PS4 version of the original PS3 game that came out um, less than a year after the original game on the next generation. Yes. So here it's it's three years later. Um, and of course, and- and yeah. that one didn't have any new content either. I guess I could kind of understood some of the complaints about that. It wasn't even as much. Um, but yeah, you're getting new content with this one. It's 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, $10 upgrade for owners of the original game. I'm 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 not one for often replaying games just because of um, you know, time constraints and all. Um, but um uh, my girlfriend we we watched the last of us uh hbo show together and loved it it, it was a great experience watching together week to week and she's excited for season two so much so that she's like i don't want to wait you know especially with the actor strikes like we're probably a year and a half to two years out from season two um so she's down to play she she was she suggested let's play part two uh, while we wait for season two and this is a great excuse to hop in um I think the lost levels, I, I'll read the paragraph here about it. Um, 
For both new and returning players, we've designed Part 2 to remaster to offer a comprehensive deep uh, dive behind the scenes of our studio uh, and how they brought this game to life. A new set of lost levels in Part 2 remastered allow players a unique chance to check out some playable sequences previously cut from the game. These aren't fully finished, but rather early development slices that not only let you see some new glimpses of Part 2's world, but also include embedded developer commentary to give them richer context. This is awesome. As someone who thinks um, that, like, just in general, game preservation, the making of games um, should be made more accessible and commercialized and digestible in a way that, like, you know, I, I, listening to, like, a developer's commentary on one of my favorite Blu-rays or DVDs, um, I know this requires work and there's a reason we don't get this often, but for a game of this size and scale, I think that's really cool. I'm excited to listen to those and... Uh, Hopefully it inspires future uh, remasters, re-releases, or hell, even just like original releases of games to include um, looks at development like this and weird special feature menus. Yeah, to me, oh, I thank you for reminding me that that was in there. Because, yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh, this is basically like a director's cut of a game. That's, That's what this is. They're just not calling it that. They probably would have had a better reception if they had called it a director's cut to be honest but um yeah oh i i can't wait just knowing how people create things anybody who's creative how their mind works is fascinating and anyone who's like if you're interested in games or if you're interested in movies like definitely go and go and watch that like watch the special features for things go into the menu of a game see if they have any i know not every game does um but if they if they're doing that and they're providing it to you, like you're going to gain such a better understanding and appreciation for how these people work and create art that it's really hard to get without that. Um, I know one of my favorite behind the scenes looks of a game is from Hellblades, from Hellblades and U.S. Sacrifice. Um, it's been a while since I watched that, but just how they. I'm kind of going a little off script here, but <laughs> that was just that was one of the first like kind of behind the scenes looks I got at a game, and it made me have a greater appreciation for how they approach that game with a main character who has like mm. is going through like psychosis and other mental illnesses, and just how they treated it with such care and brought in people and how they overcame challenges that you wouldn't even expect for game makers to have um just yeah it's really awe inspiring so i am looking forward to that with the with the remaster yeah and of course you know one last speaking of the hbo show like kind of not elephant in the room per se but like for those wondering why are we getting this like the the last of us was a huge huge hit it's nominated for emmys um you know it broke several records on hbo and there are a litany as i just noted with my girlfriend like fans of this universe and they're excited to hop in and this game not having a native ps5 version is a hurdle like to some degree like yeah the system is backwards compatible but if you're walking into your target or your best buy or you know wherever cover carries your your physical games you walk into the ps5 section they're not going to have last of us part two it's going to be in your ps4 section so um having this with all the bells and whistles um will be huge and for me and and many others will satiate uh the last of us fans between now and when the show returns 
when was the last of us two originally supposed to be released I believe it was supposed to be early 2020. Um, and then okay, it was still 2020. Yeah. I think it was like February, I want to say. Um, and then it got delayed to May. Uh, and then because of, and then the pandemic pushed it a little further into June. Okay. I just couldn't remember if it was originally supposed to be released before the PS5 had came out. But I mean, it was developed as a PS4 game. They might not have known if the PS5 would be, have been launched by then so yeah i i think like if you're thinking two years after its launch and during a time where the ps5 was also really difficult for people to get like i'm sure there's people who haven't gotten one yet or maybe just recently and haven't played the game um it, it makes sense from a timeline standpoint for yeah a couple years after the game is originally supposed to come out you put it out for the new console that's just got a up a new updated console already um and yeah it's for game preservation sake as well maybe that makes it easier for down the line when we get the ps6 or whatever it is like just continuing to kind of make the incremental updates for like you said like one of the largest games ever released with one of the most successful tv shows it's just, they're basically just doing maintenance, a little bit extra maintenance work. It's not a lot. It's not a huge team that's sitting there making this game from the ground up. They're just refreshing it. Yeah. It's like no, getting, that- it's like getting a 4k release or like the Blu-ray release for a DVD or an old film. It's, they're just restoring and making it more accessible to people. That's a great point. I mean, like James Cameron just announced that finally we're getting uh, Blu-rays for The Abyss and True Lies, which have been mm-hmm. almost like near. I had to rent those movies from the library last year when I was trying to do homework for Avatar 2. So like uh, I the, the reaction and, you know, the kind of like, why are we getting this or resources should be going to something else? Uh, I think we see so much, especially in gaming, because it's not common. Um, so I, I, I like seeing um this this form of like you very you know high level and um experienced and and you know not to discredit the work into it but like maintenance and preservation of something um my cousin right before we we started this recording texted me that he got a ps5 and he hasn't um had a playstation console since the ps2 uh he got the spider-man 2 bundle um which is 499 um same price as you could you know, as you could get a PS5 normally, but it includes a free game in it. And I, he, I think, will be among millions of other people getting that skew um, this holiday season. And he, amongst others, you know, missed the last two generations of PlayStation games. And that's the exact reason you see things like this or last year, The Last of Us Part 1 or, you know, whatever next Sony decides to remaster and re-release. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, in that or our two main news stories this week. Kinley, was there anything else about the last of us part two you wanted to get into? No, I think we've, I think we've covered it. We'll, yeah. we'll probably talk on it again once we've played and maybe kind of go deeper into some of the lost levels and directors commentary stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, in closing, as of course, uh, we took last week off for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we figured it'd be fun to close with just a little update and recap of what we got into, uh, during that week. Uh, Caitlin, any games, movies, 
shows, things you caught up on and, and, and watched, read, played that you want to recommend or not recommend to our to our f- uh, viewers and listeners? Yes, I I didn't play anything new I because I didn't bring like a console with me, but I re-downloaded Marvel Snap and Ooh. I'm addicted again. So that's what I have been playing all weekend. Um, I watched Five Nights at Freddy's finally had to for my for our boy josh hutcherson and it was fun (laughs) i i was actually surprised at how many really bad reviews i saw for that movie however i'm not someone who has like sat and played the five nights at freddy's games i have watched it so to me i wasn't really expecting anything and i watched with my like my niece and nephew who are like five and nine or something like that like they're young and they loved this movie. So kind of like experiencing it with them, like I was kind of seeing their excitement. It basically was Saw for kids. <laughs> um, I got that from someone else's letterbox review. That was That's not my own. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember reading that and I was like, that is a genius way to put it because that's what this movie was. It was a lot of fun. Had like a lot of creepy factor. Matthew Lillard, love him. I'm just so glad he kind of he kind of got to shine in this a little bit. Um, had some references to Scream and other other movies as well. Josh Hutcherson is amazing. I love him. Um, also in my Hunger Games era, so that was just a it was a fitting fitting <laughs> movie for us to watch. But did you watch Five Nights at Freddy's? I've not had a chance to yet, and, and okay. we had guests uh, around the episodes when we would have talked about the huge box office hit that this was yeah um so were your cousin or you know the, the ones you were watching with were they are they fans are they like were they commenting on the lore or how accurate it was to they, the games i know they have watched some gameplay on youtube like i said they're young they're too young to have played it um but i know they they knew all the characters. They were talking to me. They're like, oh, that's Foxy. And like, that's so-and-so. And And they're telling me like how the game works. And they, they understood the lore much better than I did. Um, And there were a couple of times where I like, I asked them questions just because I was like, wait, why is this happening? (laughs) Um, And they understood, but I don't know. It was a fun movie. It, It was a, it's a movie made for kids. And I feel like, a lot of people forget that sometimes movies are made for kids and are expecting it that it is for them when it's not. So from that standpoint, like, yeah, I think it, I think it did its job. Um, I do. I think it could have been better. Yes. Like I think it got a little messy and it was had like three concepts it was trying to fulfill and it couldn't figure out which, which way it wanted to go. But I don't know if you're just looking for a fun movie with, if you got like kids and they're really into Five Nights at Freddy's, like, they're going to have fun with this. You really can't go wrong with it. And I would sit down and watch a sequel if they make one. I hope they do. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, based on the success of it, I, I certainly think that we will get more. Um, of course, the games certainly afford for, you know, expansions and, and more stories <laughs> to be told. Can I've lost count of how many Five Nights at Freddy's games there are at this point. Um, but I'm glad it was fun. And I think you make a great point. Like, yeah, I know a lot of uh, critics had their um, <laughs> issues with it. Frankly, I'm sure I would too if I watched it. Um, yeah. But uh, like 
every generation needs their their PG thirteen horror movie. And of course, yeah, like um, <laughs> there there could be better ones, but. Lord knows I watched so many bad PG-13 horror movies when I was in middle school and high school oh. and I had a great time. Um, I mean, you look at earlier this year, same production company, Megan, uh, was such a huge hit mm-hmm. for that same reason. I know there were people disappointed that Five Nights at Freddy's wasn't rated R, but it's part of that tradition of like, you know, you get out of school on Friday and, and your mom's dropping your group of five friends off at the theater to see it. And it makes me, as someone who frequently worries about like the state of theatrical releases especially that this had a day and date release on peacock that all these kids were just like no we want to go to this like you know we want to make this a big social event and and see this together um it makes me happy (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah that is i think that is the only new thing i watched i also i finished a book this weekend that I had been reading for a while. It's called Babel by R.F. Kuang. Mm. Um, she wrote the Poppy War trilogy, which is a very popular um, series that I see a lot of people read. I Babel's not anything like gaming related, but it is one of my favorite books that I have ever read. And I'm like still processing it, but it really is kind of all about the, the horrors of academia within the... British Empire, um, colonization, like the act of translation and languages and how languages is used to both oppress people and free people. And where do we fall within that? Um, it's basically takes place in Oxford, Oxford in like the 1830s, but she kind of plays a little bit with timelines. Um, she has footnotes. She makes it clear when things are a little bit different because there's, she introduces this like magical system where, the British Empire is hoarding silver and basically taking people from around the world um, who are good at languages and having them like translate words into silver. It makes like basically is how they're running society and trade ships and how the empire has an advantage over the rest of the world and kind of goes into their like views of China and the the opium trade and just it's there is so much this, I think the book's like 600 pages. Um, so it's, it's a lot. It reads, it's called like, I think the actual name of the book is Babel, an arcane history of some, an arcane. It's basically read like a, a history book retelling. Um, but it's the characters. I just, I truly loved how this book was written, how the characters were developed and everything that she's trying to say. R.F. Kuang is so smart. I I could never be nearly as smart as her. And so I'm trying to explain it in the best way I can without giving anything away. But if you have any interest in like these large historical fantasy epics, like definitely read Babel. Um, it is truly one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah, you've just moved it very high up on my to-read list. It already has been. I know it was acclaimed as one of the best um, genre releases or, frankly, just best books of last year. The full title is uh, Babel or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators' Revolution. Yeah. It reminds me of another book I read this year called A Memory Called Empire by Arcady. Oh. Arcady. Yes. A-R-K-A-D-Y. Martine. Have you had a chance to read this yet? I know it's 
on one of your shelves. <laughs> of course it is. I think I bought this book genuinely like four, five years it ago. It came out in 2019, so you very well might have. Okay. So I think I bought it in 2019, and it's probably sitting on a shelf somewhere. Um uh- I would recommend it. I, I read it this summer. Um, it's been sitting on my shelf for a bit, and I, I finally got around to it. Um, it is, I, I, I having not read Babel, I, I won't like definitively say this, but it sounds like kind of like a science fiction um, parallel to many of the themes you discussed. It's about a uh, diplomat visiting a galactic empire um, and getting into the throes of immigration and cultural differences and the way we take on other cultures in order to um, be in order to advance or, you know, make a progress or imprint our like, you know, mm-hmm. our, our, our social histories uh, amongst like the, the greater um, kind of uh, like histories that will live on beyond us. Uh, it plays with a lot mm-hmm. of ideas while, being couched in like a murder mystery and kind of like political thriller. I liked it. It's a duology. I plan to read the second book. So um, anyway, it babble reminded me of that. I like it. It, Yeah. It's a sci-fi like space opera about politics and culture. That's yeah. yeah, That all ticks all my boxes. I will, that just moved that up on my list. I will, I honestly think it's in my closet. Um, most people's closets are full of clothes. Mine is full of books. <laughs> there's there's a problem I have, and it is collecting books and not reading them. So I will pull that one out. Uh, in closing, uh, speaking of books, and you also mentioned Josh Hutcherson, uh, I read uh, and finished uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and Ooh. also saw the movie uh, Over Break. Um, and... <laughs> I didn't love it, <laughs> but <laughs> no, that's fine. I, did you see my review? I, uh, I did. I, I really appreciated a review and it was kind of a, I did the same thing with killers of the flower moon earlier this year where like I finished the book the day I went to see the movie. Um, okay. Growing up, I, you know, I would read, I read the hunger games trilogy was a huge fan. And then years later saw the movies and I would only remember the high level stuff. So it was really bizarre, like watching something where the the source material was so fresh. Um, But I I really appreciate the way your review highlighted the nuances and differences between the book and the film. Yeah, the book, I mean, uh, Suzanne Collins, just, she is a master at, really diving into characters' psyches. And so she does a brilliant job of showing the deterioration of Snow from this like green teenage student who is just trying to get through school and just trying to like reclaim the Snow name and like end up like winning a scholarship to go to university just by doing well in his classes to kind of being thrusted into the the capital and like truly what it stands for and being forced to kind of either revolt against the capital or just join them and based in his mind survive um the movie really tries to show that but there's there's so much in the book that it is truly impossible i think for one movie to really show that especially when you have a whole actual hunger game sequence which is the second part of the movie the movie is split up very evenly in three parts. There are title screens with part one, part two, part three. Um, so it, 
I don't see any world in which one movie could have really shown that and still had like all of the Hunger Games parts showing how they get there in the beginning. It's just they're trying to squeeze so much in one movie. And if they split it up into two movies, you would have like one movie, which is the games, and then two movie, which is just entirely <laughs> exposition into Snow as a character. And I think only people who read the books and truly care would be interested in that and everybody else would be bored to tears. Um, so I think it's a lose-lose situation and they did what they could. There's a lot of really good things about the movie. I sat there and I enjoyed watching it. But yeah, I had a lot of reservations on how it all played out and especially that third act. Yeah. For me, both the book and the, just the, the plot in general loses me in the third, in the third act. Um, I think the pacing kind of, yeah. the, the, you know, just by the, the structure of it, it has a lot of momentum, um, both just the story, whether whichever version you're talking about has a lot of moment, momentum going into the third act. And then it kind of resets itself. And I don't think it ever quite finds its footing at that point. Um, but, uh, it has some great sequences and I agree that, um, Suzanne Collins's character work is strong. And for that reason, um, you know, on a similar note, I think the casting is quite good in the movie. I loved, uh, Viola Davis as kind of, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, a professor with evil machinations and Jason Schwartzman absolutely steals the show as like the first presenter oh, for the Hunger Games. Yeah. I he there he has so many lines throughout that movie that had me like close to tears with laughter. Like he had to have been just having the time of his life. What is the one? Oh my gosh. What is the joke that he says that I am now blanking on where like she can't walk or something? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know you're there's a there's he quite a glibly uh shout casts a lot of you know, for those of familiar with the cast of the Hunger Games or the, the plot of the Hunger Games, it's it's kids being selected to kill each other battle royale style. Um and oh. uh <laughs> his uh very deadpan or our tongue-in-cheek delivery over it is really funny, even if I can't remember the specific lines. Yeah, he I know he a lot of it was improv improv he improvised. Um, like there are a lot of his one lines, one liners that just were not scripted. I think they probably just had him say a bunch of, okay. Yeah, I found it. He was, he was an interview. He, he wrote like 50 some pages of ideas of like mm, these one liners awesome. to say, and they're so funny, but yeah, him as like the, he was like, yeah, the first like telecaster of the hunger games. You can see how the, the flickerman, uh, family <laughs> just improves until you get to Stanley Tucci. So good. Uh, later. On. Um, I mean, in comparing this to the, how we started this segment with five nights at Freddy's, it is interesting. Like both huge hits, uh, hunger games had almost a, like a historic non drop at the box office. It, it stayed number one in the Thanksgiving weekend, which is really tough going against a new Disney animated release and a movie from the director of gladiator. Um, and I, I think it goes to show that like a, uh, and this is, I mean, we're all, I'll get to the, the adults who saw this movie, but like teenagers want movies. Um, they want like 
PG-13 movies that treat them kind of like adults that give them serious stories and are still appropriate enough for them, but they still feel like it's a little edgy to go. I think that's partly what made um, The Hunger Games so popular for our generation in the first place. And then also, you know, bringing us in and all the other, you know, young adults and 30-somethings who saw Five Nights and Hunger Games. Like, we're all nostalgic for these franchises as well because they were popular a decade ago, whether it was in the form of YouTube videos and Let's Plays with Five Nights or... You know, of course, the original movies and books with The Hunger Games. So it's an interesting trend. And I, I didn't think when I woke up this morning, I'd be relating Five Nights to Hunger Games. But here we are. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it'll be the last time we see franchises like this um, being huge hits. Yeah. Movies are movies are back, baby. Movies are back. Games are back. We'll be back next Wednesday with an episode of Real-Time Strategy. Uh, you can find us everywhere at Real-Time Strats. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com or tweet at us. We'll, we'll shout you out like we did Joseph Bradford. Thank you again, Joseph, as always, for or listening. I'll miss, I'll yeah. miss it. <laughs> One of us will find it. <laughs> um, you can find me everywhere at Sam Scott Mosier, including on Letterboxd for all my movie reviews. I will be seeing Dream Scenario and Saltburn uh, and probably Godzilla Minus One by the time uh, the next episode comes out. Where can the people find you, yep. Caitlin? You, everyone can find me at Caitlin Redwing, also on social media and Letterboxd. I will also be seeing Saltburn. If it is anything like it was Promising Young Woman, I will have a scathing review and I'll have lots to talk about. So cannot <laughs> wait. However, <laughs> Ditto. Jacob Ditto. Lordy, though, let's. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, much to look forward um, to. Caitlin, thank you as always for co-piloting the ship with me. Yes, of course. And thank Thanks, you all Sam. so much for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye.